Hello, everyone. Welcome to um, another episode of Art and Labor. Um, I'm OK Fox, joined uh, by Sarah Crow and Darcy Wilder this week. Uh, Lucia had to work. <laughs> and we're joined by a uh, special guest, uh, Sarah Jaffe. Um, it's so good to have you. Sarah Jaffe just wrote um, a, a brand new book uh, called Work Won't Love You Back. How Devotion to Our Jobs Keeps Us Exploited, Exhausted, and Alone. Um, it is out out now on on Bold Type Books. Uh, Sarah Jaffe, welcome to Art and Labor. Hello. It's so good to actually <laughs> finally be here, although I'm very sad that Lucia is missing this because of work. What the hell? It's actually performance art, so. Well, <laughs> still work. Still work. <laughs> no, the performance is Lucia is gone. Okay, okay. All right. I <laughs> that, that is their... I support that. It's a Lee Lozano move. <laughs> I support this. Um, yeah, so, yeah, Lucia and I are actually mentioned in this book. You are. Uh, get, get that out of the way. Right yeah. Front. You helped me think about um, art, which I, like, actually don't know that much about. So it was very, very helpful to, like, sit down and talk about art for a very long time with, with the two of you. It really <laughs> helped me figure some things out that, uh, you know, put that yeah, chapter well, together. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, it was, it was really cool to get this book in the mail, and it's, like, so freaking thick and like the art chapter is like it is a monster. it's just one chapter i mean it is a monster but like <laughs> it, all the chapters are monsters and like I, like i don't know what i was expect i think i was like you know very like oh this is is this a, a book all about art and it's it's not it's like it's a book about like all of these um uh seemingly disparate uh fields that are like um united by this sort of um connection to uh uh what you bring up a lot the uh barbara eichenwald's uh professional managerial class um and uh the different sort of um uh you know uh neoliberalization of of uh um different uh types of work um so it it includes like sports it includes uh tech it includes nonprofit organizations and um other like more and more so many other things <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. many other things yeah i wrote a book big enough you could beat a man to death with it which is always a goal <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's very large, um, <laughs> very good. Uh, but but yeah, I, I um, yeah when I was it was it was cool to to um, to see that like uh, to see that being more like the crux of the book because uh, I don't know I think I was like I was like oh Sarah Jaffe doesn't know enough about art to write this book and, uh, <laughs> but it's just one it's like just one chapter and you did a great job on that chapter. <laughs> I definitely didn't know enough about art to write a book about art. My God, I would have been such a jerk. But I really enjoyed, I enjoyed like um, what you did, right? I did uh, the um, Irish artist whose name escapes the, the Katie, Irish conceptual Kate O'Shea. artist. Kate, Kate O'Shea. Yes. And then um, uh, her, yeah, like, yeah, her different um, journeys and um, 
all yeah all of that was uh was great and then the, the i'm also thinking of the conceptual artist oh carrie um, carrie guinan carrie carrie guinan yeah yes. uh that the conceptual art is like something that it when i encountered it in undergrad um first kind of got me thinking about labor in the arts mm -hmm. um i i studied a lot of like baldessari who did like a a, a similar thing where he hired um like more tr traditional like sign painters which was like a real job mm -hmm. that you could do yeah. um and had him and had them paint uh his paintings for him um as, yeah. as as like as like another way to like um you know uh think about these these like kind of meaningless divisions of labor mm -hmm. um yeah yeah which I'm, is so different I, right I, from the people who yeah, like yeah. hire assistants and then like won't tell you about it and they're just like no you can't know how much of this painting was done by the assistants because like something something what is it that uh Kinda wiley said it was like my special sauce get out of my kitchen and i was just like dude i hate you so much oh, right now that's rough yeah, yeah. no it like the first time that i Brutal. heard uh someone that i was working for describe over the phone like oh this piece that i made <laughs> i was like and you're just like Huh? Dude, I made that. Really? <laughs> you literally didn't. Yeah. Uh, I think, yeah, yeah I like art in particular, I think has like uh, one of the most, like the entire identity of being an artist is almost built around like poverty and like the idea that like being an artist is worth it. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I just like, I, I this was like why I was like, okay, I, I don't, I'm not like an art person. I have to like learn a lot of stuff. I did more reading for that chapter than I think anything else in the book. Cause I was just like, I, I just, yeah, cause you're, learn. you're a, like, Oh my God. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and because it is like, I do think that it hangs so much of this like language that we get now around all this different kind of work hangs on this old idea of like artists will just do it for the love of it. And now like, journalists are supposed to do it for the love of it and like all of this other work that is actually like super profitable I was actually reading a Twitter conversation though today about like art as asset class um that I wish I had seen before I wrote this book but whatever um because people were like no, recommending no. academic articles about like the financialization of art and I was like ooh, a rabbit hole I could go down this sounds great yes that's the thing that's that is what strikes me about this book because you come from like a, a very rich tradition of labor journalism. You've written for everyone, like the nation and and yeah. uh, dissents, and like um, you've written another book before this one, and and um, and you know, so like it, you're, I think it, it's really good what you're trying to do is it bring in the art conversation to these other fields because. Yeah the art field is being used as like a model for disruption mm -hmm. before tech was doing right, it you exactly. know <laughs> yeah journalism oh. and media where it's like right content farm because in your heart of hearts you really care about the kardashians and monetizing <laughs> that. because that's what writing is now for yeah. some for no, some bosses it's so weird, right? I was listening to I was listening to the Dear Prudence podcast because I'm actually just an advice podcast junkie earlier today. And there was a question that somebody had written in about like, my goal is to create literary content for the internet. And I just like cringe so hard at the word content 
because it was oh, just Oh yeah, like, that's a big mm, one. What yeah. what is literary content? What does that even mean? Like mm, but like everything has become content, right? And like art has become content and and yeah, and it's just I don't know. It all gets eaten up into the creative class. Um, mm -hmm. which for some like, reason I don't hear <laughs> yeah, and video <laughs> and film and yeah, right. I remember yeah. A few years ago before I had the vocabulary for it, I was trying to, I was in a discussion about why someone said that the best filmmaking of like Zoomers is on Vine. And I was like, Ugh. I have a BFA in film. And yeah. I was just like, Ugh. and I was right. like, I don't know how to explain, but this is yeah. just not, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. This is yeah, not, the, like the not the move. It's not the same thing. And like, and of course people would love it to be that just the way that they would love like the best TV to be reality TV, because then you don't have to pay like skilled writers and, totally. and whatever. And mm -hmm. you have like, I mean, you still have skilled writers, but like they don't get treated the same way that writers who create like, you know, the Sopranos. Or, or, or the, ac the actors, the actors right. in the reality show aren't exactly. treated as actors, but no, they are I, yeah. because they're on television. This is just, yeah. It's and, or fame, right? Or on reality shows, um, the producers that manipulate, like, hypothetically, mm -hmm. if I, if I, if, <laughs> hypothetically, if there was, like, a adolescent who had a child, and that was the basis of a reality show, and then the producer's um, uh, complete job was to stir up drama that they have to film, and then they leave, and it's in disarray. Like, that's right. actually what That's happens. actively harmful, yeah. Yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah. yeah, youth media reality shows uh, like like extreme mm. that's like giving extra exploitation on top of the like yeah. just medium of it being exploited yeah. <laughs> no and it and it all it's you know it, it builds on the same thing right which is this like oh everybody wants mm. to be famous because they want to be famous well what is famous like what what did we think of you know when i was a kid before we had reality tv because yes i'm that old um <laughs> You know, when you were famous, it was because you like made a thing. It's because you, you know, you starred in the TV show because you were an actor, or you wrote the thing, or you, you know, you made a movie, or you made a painting, or you made a book, and that was the thing that you wanted to do because you wanted to like do the thing. And now it's like fame is its own thing, and you're just like famous for having an Instagram. And well, like, like, yeah, I think like it's not just like it's it's that the like over the course, I think like America's Next Top Model was a really good because it started a really long time ago and so it's like kept up with reality tv trends and at a certain point you stopped just having girls who wanted to be models and you started only seeing people who were already instagram influencers mm -hmm. and like these became their models of like how they just could get their name more out there but they had to like it's a, like a stricter requirement to even be part of them now yeah and it's like it's this thing that um i actually write about in the like the interns chapter of the book where i'm talking about mm. um this thing that uh, oh my goodness, I'm blanking on their names. Kathleen Kuhn and Thomas Corrigan, I think, are the scholars. And they wrote about like hope labor. And it's like the work you mm -hmm. do in the hopes of getting to get paid for it at some point. And like all of that, like the long tail of sort of influencerdom is just like more and more and more hope labor. And I like, I'm always sort of thrown when like friends of mine, like, post something about like, is my Instagram like, what kind of content would you like to see on my Instagram? And I was like, man, nobody gets a choice what they see on my Instagram. It is like my face when I feel cute <laughs> with my dog when I still had a dog. It's like it's snowing. And that's what you get. Yeah, and if you don't like it. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's it's funny. Yeah, I, I remember you mentioning like the vine labor dispute. Um, yes. And, and 
you're like this is, could be a whole nother book to go mm -hmm. into because yeah it's like it, it it could fit into the to the intern chap chapter like sort of but yeah. like yeah the these like you know sort of like content creator tick TikTok hype house things <laughs> is like um it's just like new mutations of these right. same phenomenons that you you write about in, throughout the book like the the weird like dreamer school where people like pay to do an internship for free like is like isn't that much different than people being like uh yeah i'll live at the TikTok hype house and make content all day but i i can live for free it's like weird it's like a weird return to like boarding um yeah like, <laughs> like nine pounds that like the well or yeah, like the right, facebook exactly. beach house right when like kate lossie's book which is really good everybody should read yeah. it um it was before its time uh the boy kings but like yeah she writes about like convincing mark zuckerberg yeah. to like rent them a beach house so they could all move into the beach house but like they're all working while like sitting around the pool or whatever um you have all like the coders with their laptops like banging away on facebook <laughs> laptop you know on facebook coding while sitting around a pool at this house that like zuckerberg has rented for them and you're just like this sounds and they're and a lot of them are on the um the visas that eight h n one visas that mm. um if uh that yes. mark zuckerberg is you know, mark zuckerberg's to... very altruistic immigration uh nonprofit <laughs> forward dot <laughs> us exactly mm. yay <laughs> more cheap labor for zuckerberg i just want to second that that book rules so hard the boy kings yes and i always think about when they're by the pool and her friend they're testing out the product it's also just strange to me that <laughs> features are called products yeah uh, the inner relationship right. thing and they were like their personal life was like kind of affected by them just testing out the actual thing yeah um because it's their personal facebook and social media managers today use their own facebooks to like log into the company account which is also like weird to affiliate i don't know i guess yeah. people have been on facebook for 20 years now god that's weird Ooh. oh my goodness like i i when I was, it's true. Yeah, I got on Facebook when I was in grad school because all of the undergrads. I was um, my my only brief whatever. I was the dark room assistant as a grad student, um, and so all of my undergrads were on Facebook, and they were like, "Oh, Sarah, are you on Facebook? Are you on Facebook?" And I was like, "I guess I'll be on Facebook for you kids," <laughs> because I, you know, mm. Facebook didn't exist when I was in college. Um, and after that, it had been mostly for college kids. So like, yeah, but that whole yeah, yeah. It, moment is so, it's so weird. Like I remember MySpace. I had a MySpace. And, I, and they've captured our, our data forever. Like they just, mm -hmm. they have that forever. And then um, it's like a whole nother terrain <laughs> um, of exploitation to, to be trading in data instead of money like and, and we're seeing that happen with the you know GameStop stock shit like the 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 whole thing is like people who normally can't pay a broker so a broker you normally have to pay like five thousand yeah. dollars so it's like people so they're using these apps but like the the apps aren't really brokers right. they are like you're trading the firms that owns the apps money yeah and the firm that owns it is trading in your data right so they so as we see they if 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 consumers like or if like you know retail investors or whatever yeah. want to want to save a certain retail business they they can't un yeah. unless they like 
completely formalize their their structure um in which in which case it doesn't work it doesn't right. work as a as a big democratizing thing or like yeah. have any potential to overturn anything like people were kind of hoping you know yeah. it would <laughs> yeah i mean mostly it was just fun to watch like big wall street dudes like lose their minds over it because it's like this is fundamentally like not even overturning any real relationships of power and yet you were like losing it it was like when lord Bl lloyd blankfein would like go on tv in like you know 2010 and be like oh my god you're they're like coming for us with pitchforks and it's just terrible and it's like <laughs> one of those assholes it wasn't him because he's actually Jewish, at least. <laughs> One of those assholes, like, literally compared it to the Holocaust, though. And I was oh, just God. like, wait just a minute here, friend. I got words for you on that one. Like, But it's it just, like, they, like, lose their minds if you, like, sneeze in their general direction. So that in itself is kind of fun. But, like, yeah, it's not actually going to change power relations. It, it, it teaches the, the bourgeois to adjust rather mm -hmm. than... Yeah challenge the bourgeois yeah. and like it's similar to democracy itself <laughs> so, like, similar to voting in elections um yeah and uh, yeah, you know <laughs> it's it's a real bummer like that um it's really funny because people want to like ask me like what is your advice and like you know like i said it was on like the axios mm. podcast yesterday and you know so i'm, I'm like dealing with people <laughs> on one hand i'm talking to people who are like my people who like understand what i'm talking about as a political argument. And then I'm dealing with people who are like, but what's your advice for people? And I was like, overthrow the capitalist mode of production. They're like, okay, a little bit smaller. I'm like, join yeah, a union? Like... <laughs> it's like, but what can people personally do? And I was like, join a union? <laughs> yeah. How can they personally overthrow capitalism on an individual basis? Get, buy some that game touches. <laughs> yeah, where's but that the is always, yeah, what they're asking you to do anyway. Yeah. Um, it's kind of the same as whenever you talk to people about communism, they kind of want you to like lay out what a government, like a perfectly working, functional mm -hmm. communist gov government administrative kind of thing would be. And it's yeah. like, you literally can't tell. You, li you yeah. There is no way because it's like, no, there has been no situation where everybody was deciding on something together. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and like, I, I got frustrated and like messaged a, a, another nerd who writes books about neoliberalism. And I was just like, do people all want you to tell them how to live their life and give them advice? Or is it just because I'm a girl and my book has the word love in the title? <laughs> <laughs> that people are just like, oh, you're gonna tell me how to live my life. And I'm like, dude, I can't even tell myself how to live my life. Like I'm sublet hopping and I need to figure out where I'm gonna live next month. Like. Don't ask me for advice. It's terrible. Isn't isn't that so much of the the publishing industry though? Is like um, people trying to get self help or whatever. Like, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe Darcy knows more about this than me. But <laughs> I know self help I, makes I, I, a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> I think something Maybe I didn't understand this. for a while was that there are people who like literally don't read anything but self help books. It's the only. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because I think pe yeah, people people really, really are stuck. You know, someone else you bring up in the book a lot, of course, is Mark Fisher, and you, you bring up capitalist realism a lot, and and in that that permeates so 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 much, and it's like, you know, that's that's why I could, I could really appreciate um, a book like this that you can give to any rando lib uh, or or a political person. 
and be like, here's like a 101 on like <laughs> thinking through all of these problems that cannot continue to be individualized. Yeah. They mm -hmm. have to be resolved. Like you talk about in the conclusion a bit, um, like that hopefully these dis like seemingly disparate fields could be connected and like, yeah. and, uh, and that's like a very enduring. I'm sorry, I don't really have questions because like, I just that's feel fine. like this is, this is just an ongoing <laughs> this is discussion. It's <laughs> fine. We're just agreeing. What was yeah. your daily schedule like fine. when you were writing? What time did you wake up when you? <laughs> yeah, no. I just uh, it just feels so um, like this is like all like I'm like looking at the index. I'm like this is all shit we read on the podcast. This is all like. Yeah discussions that are ongoing for our show so yeah that's <laughs> what this no, episode this is, is too fun <laughs> i miss hanging out with people so this is just like let's just hang out and talk nice. about things this is great it's like having that's a what a podcast is supposed to be <laughs> yeah like like i said like a zine like a like, like a zine used to exactly. read per zines oh but also in the subject of like giving just giving the book to someone it's also such yeah. a great point of just like it's the part of like the contemporary workspace that's like holding like a knife up and being like and you will be precarious and you'll like it and you'll be thankful and just wrapping up everything and i don't know it's just i feel like a really good <laughs> yeah i was i was talking to somebody about it and they said something about consciousness raising and i was just like ooh, yeah that that's the thing that's like and speaking of mark fisher right who was writing about consciousness raising and like the the acid communism fragments and, you know, some of my UK comrades who have been like trying to build on that and mm -hmm. actually doing consciousness raising. Oh, my God, puppy. Totally distracted <laughs> Coco's here. Uh, <laughs> and um, yeah. And so I, I was talking to one of them and I was like, huh, like I, you know, I was like, maybe I should do some like consciousness raising groups around this book and talk to people who are like sort of experiencing for the first time, like, oh, my God, I got out and I got the job that I'm supposed to enjoy and it still sucks. And like, how do we then get to that space where we can talk about that? And then we get to the point where we see work as political, because that's the thing that I'm, I'm sort of running into with these more mainstream interviewers is like, I'm like, but it's a political problem. Then they're like, but make it personal. And I'm like, no, <laughs> yeah, don't want yeah, to. We, we, we... <laughs> it's well, I, you really are so conditioned to, to like do anything to not think of it that way. I was kind of explaining uh, before you got here, like I recently like, taught uh from like hosted or like facilitated a reading group with a bunch of people who were extremely new to marxist readings and we went over estranged labor and it was like honestly like insane watching people talk through that and then realize that like oh my god like like people were crying at the end of it because yeah. And this thing that was written like 150 years ago it still touches you yeah like it's it's almost even more descriptive of what we do now than than back then uh i find a lot of that stuff is just like this could have been written yesterday yeah yeah and you're just like oh i don't know i was i on twitter again because like what do i do all day in between <laughs> podcast is not is, going um, outside on twitter <laughs> right i you know i went for a walk in the snow earlier no but um i was tweeting this thing about like janet yellen's speaking engagements right and people were talking about oh this and I was I pulled up this old article of Dave Dayans about Hillary Clinton's speaking engagements that was just like making the point that I think is really important that like people are not getting paid to give that that's not for a speech. 
that's access, right? They're paying Janet Yellen $700,000, not for a speech, because like, she was a major political figure. And she is, again, a major political figure. Her political views are well known, like the speech she's going to give is not going to be 700,000 worth (laughs) of enlightenment to these Wall Street dudes. They're paying her for access. And this person who was responding to me was just like, why isn't this like mainstream news? And I was like, it was covered in the USA Today. It is mainstream news. And he was like, oh, well, then why aren't like more people like this is just seems like such blatant corruption. And like, what is this I'm feeling? And it was like, oh. What is this I'm feeling that really got mm-hmm. to me? Because go. it was like, oh, yeah, like that feeling is radicalization. I've been crushing Marxist since college. And like, you know, so I forget that I've been doing this for 20 years and some people are just waking up to like oh, this is how capital expresses power. And that is fucked up. Consciousness raising has to be different than like vague sort of like liberal awareness campaigns. Right. Like, right. And and, and, because that's always where any sort of like thing with a revolutionary potential gets funneled in to liberal (laughs) awareness campaigns, like the Me Too movement, like Black Lives Mm -hmm. Matter is like, uh, uh, like of course like there's yeah, yeah it, literally inc- let's let's talk about the ngo chapter because that mm-hmm. like is, i think like <laughs> extreme so much right like uh, yeah and like you know i was actually recently rereading insights um uh non-profit industrial complex so good piece because uh, this is this has been on my mind a lot doing like mutual aid work. Um, yeah. I find something that's lacking with mutual aid work is um, uh, radical political education. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It's I I find that either like um, there's like uh, so many volunteers and not enough education or there's like a extremely good radical education but not enough volunteers if yeah. that makes sense because yeah. I, and, and and my thought on this is that the the one with not a lot of volunteers but much more radical it's dangerous <laughs> <laughs> like at a certain point like I, I i you become more of a target and people um are worried and uh about um i don't know i especially in 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 new york where i am i don't know like it has there's a huge history of like people of color organizing in this way getting targeted by the fbi and killed and yeah um so i don't know if you have any insight to like these sort of problems that i think are are cropping up into the mutual aid world and how like some mutual aid projects are incorporating as ngos or and what that means Yeah, I think, I mean, one of the things that I love about the Insight book is that, like, it really does have sort of all of these different case studies, and it doesn't come to any conclusion that, like, NGOs are all bad or, like, whatever, but it is Mm. just, like, we are going to lay out, like, all of the problems and pitfalls and struggles of this form and talk about how we should understand it. And, like, I, I, unsurprisingly, my favorite piece in that book is Ruth Wilson Gilmore because, like, Ruth Wilson Gilmore, but because yeah. she she really does a wonderful job of explaining like how the state has come to depend on this thing that she calls the shadow state, right? That is all of these things that end up propping up capitalism, right? And this is like when I was thinking about how to explain how things that are technically not for profit still end up with with 
profit motive type incentives. And it's like, oh, because like this is actually like the way that capitalism gets justified is like, well, you know, Bill Gates donates a bunch of money to COVID vaccines or whatever it is that he's spending his money on this week. And therefore, Bill Gates is justified in having... I don't know what position he is on the world's richest men list because like Elon Musk is now at the top of it. So like la money is fake. Um, if you ever needed proof that money is fake. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Um, People are, like, like talk about inflated stock. Oh, Tesla. God, yeah. <laughs> I, I inflated like his rocket, which then went up and then crashed down, which is probably yeah. what his wealth will do too. But uh, it's the idea. No, it's enough. But the the question of of yeah is is keeping the politics in the mutual aid is to to make sure that you don't just become sort of the thing that's patching the holes in the system. Um, and I remember this like after Hurricane Sandy in New York in 2012, like Occupy Sandy, which did like incredible work. Also, you know, there was some people started tweeting like the hashtag we got this. And I was just kind of like, no, 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 we don't got this because Bloomberg was still mayor at the time. That asshole. Yeah. Um, And he is perfectly happy for you to got this. Mm hmm. Yes. You know, because that just allows him to go back to reopening the stock market and pretending everything is fine and not having to do a damn thing with the public resources that he controls because we got this. And like, it's no. like all of these, like, no, not all of these, but it's, it, it's a pitfall that like, in particular, it just underestimates the strength of the state in so many yeah. ways. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that somehow it's like, not powerful enough to do the things that it absolutely could do. And then also that they're not going to like shut your shit down the second it becomes actually inconvenient for them, you know, right. like with the, right. with the GameStop stuff today. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And like, you know, I think about, um, God, J. Edgar Hoover was in the news again this week. Cause like we found out that he really did, you know, order Fred Hampton killed personally, basically. Um, and you know, J. Edgar Hoover is still like the worst historical American. And that is a long list, but I would fight anybody who does not want to put him at the top. He's just like, he did so much damage over like, <laughs> Yeah, whenever people are like, Trump Trump was uh, the worst. The worst. And, but the thing that he <laughs> said that was the most dangerous about the Black Panthers was the survival programs, right? Because it was like the fact that they were bringing people into this organization by taking care of them. But like you had to sort of do that in the context of an organization. Mm-hmm. So like it's really easy for a thing that's just formulated as a mutual aid group mm-hmm to just end up being like, okay, and we take care of our neighbors. And like, that is a good thing to do, you know, just objectively like, yes, the state is abandoning people and we should take care of our neighbors. Absolutely. But like, as a political project, what was dangerous was that it was embedded in this thing. So it was like, it was very clear to everybody who came to the the Black Panthers free breakfast that it was the Black Panthers free breakfast. Yeah, you and know? it was militant and they, people. That was that, who it yeah. was, and this was yes. what else they did. Yeah. And they had a very clear, here's our 10-point program. Here is what it is. And, you know, we're not going to, like, deny you food, but also, like, this is what we're doing. This is what we're here for. This is survival pending revolution. And that kind of understanding of it, I think, is, is really, really important Yeah, and, and to that, situate that is... in that space and, and to understand that, like, the thing with the NGOs is, like, it becomes more important to sort of perpetuate the NGO than to actually get to the thing that we need. 
right? To get to the point in the struggle where like that's not necessary anymore. And, and sadly, it's not even just NGOs. I think it's a lot of um, yeah. community groups and social groups like get yeah. stuck mm -hmm. in like, well, here's yeah. what we can do legally, you know? <laughs> and it's like, cool, we, we also decided that um, we want right. to like abolish the police. So yeah. why are we stuck working within the bounds of legality? Not to be like in COVID, but also with the COVID stuff where it's like the state completely has failed us and it's like uh you know we take care of each other and all of that but and then there's the personal you know i hate cuomo so much mm -hmm. and it's like oh yeah stay inside except for valentine's day and stuff like that and then it's like highlighting personal like if you get covid it's your own fault for personal responsibility yeah. but then i also feel like i also feel like i'm not going out yeah. i don't want to you know do that like trying to minimize basically sorry i'm all over the place but just like it seems to me like it's the intersection of like personal responsibility mm -hmm. uh collective safety yeah. the state screwing up all of it and exacerbating the worst in all of yeah. it and i have just no idea yeah. what is happening it, and he wants to like reopen the restaurants and it's just like screw you yeah. man like come on <laughs> uh, oh and then and deny restaurant yeah. workers a vaccine mm-hmm yeah, sorry. No, and just, this is just, just yeah. complaining. That's he's a murderer yeah. and he should be tried. It's like if we're going to work within the bounds of, of legality, we should mm -hmm. at least be doing offensive legality. Yeah. That's my Harm reduction take, is, is taking like... Cuomo out of office. <laughs> and sticking Seriously. In uh, you know, I mean, I like <laughs> legally I do if I could like choose what happens to Andrew Cuomo. <laughs> <laughs> I've been thinking about this for a very long time because I've been hating Andrew Cuomo professionally for a very long time. Um, it was very weird when right? I was in London last year, I was finishing the yeah. book, I was in the UK and like, so it was during the Democratic primary and like Bloomberg is friggin' running, right? And like, um, a friend of mine is, um, he is a Marxist and his his wife is is not and she really wanted to talk to me about like, what? but what if Michael Bloomberg is the only person who can beat Trump? And I was like, he's not. And she was like, but what if he is? And I'm like, but he's not. I promise you that M Michael Bloomberg would lose New York to Donald Trump. That but is, but that he it, would not it, win. That it just won't happen. Seriously. But weren't his approval ratings like shockingly high? Like I despise him, but I'm also maybe, the, I don't know. It's I just remember hearing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, someone repeated it, the the thing oh, is like upstate New York world, sorry actually, I forgot about upstate one of the things sorry, Bloomberg was really it's, good yeah. at was buying off people in the art world so we, oh. we switched from Cuomo to Bloomberg which is like the two people I hate most on earth but I mean, absolutely <laughs> but like you know I've just been like I've been professionally hating these people mm -hmm. for a over a decade now I have receipts they're the worst <laughs> um in so many ways and like yeah and it's that, that superficial thing Hmm? Right, because like the 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 problem is competing with the big PR, like yeah. the the and part of like buying off the art world is buying PR. Yes, absolutely. Um, or it, 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 so, and someone like Bloomberg um, can, um, you know, get somebody like Andrew Yang a position on CNN. Mm -hmm. That's very political. To me, yeah. Yang is the the shadow Bloomberg candidate, <laughs> and he's got shadow Bloomberg money. Uh, yeah. And I think a, a UBI is very, very in line with Bloomberg and Yang. Bloomberg in particular, because he can make money off of every little microtransaction um, that 
the UBIs have to go through. Um, so it's it, it 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 feels very like one to one to to me that and everybody's now freaking out. So that's where I'm coming from. Where I'm saying like Yang yeah. and Bloomberg are kind of interchangeable to me. And to me, but Yang is such um, a dumbass. He's such a dumbass, but he's getting so much press. He's getting yeah. way more press than any other candidate. This is how Trump won. This is how mm -hmm. Yang could win and probably will, frankly. Oh, God. Um, and I see his, I see people wearing Yang merchandise more often than I would like, probably more, probably it's the most political yeah. merchandise. And Maybe you know, it, it's so it weird because it's but so I mean, like the this GameStop dudes, right? It's like people who are like legit mm -hmm. sort of mad at the way everything is, but like it just gets corralled into this like narrow, useless shit that is just going to like turn back around into the same people who are already making yeah, money. There's this, and I mean, there's this like individualized hustle culture that the Yang gangers also represent. Mm -hmm. Um I think, you know, because I think in particular in Amer America actually lacks a, a coherent dream. The American dream is an individualized yeah. project, completely individualized. So we have no collective dreams. So if you look at like what kids in China want to be when they grow up, they want to be astronauts. <laughs> what kids in what kids in the United States wants to be are like we were talking about before, like influencers and uh, yeah. famous and social media stars. And, and, and that's like the only dreams we really have. So like, and, and like when you're talking about like talking to you, like, um, more regular interviewers and they're like, well, what can we do? It's like, well, you can gain a consciousness and build a collective project. Yeah. That's what we can yeah. do. <laughs> yeah. But no, 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 no. We just, we just gotta, um, join the Yang gang. Oh God. He's so dumb now. Um, you just like, oh God, you just like, if you ever need proof that the world is not a meritocracy, like look at some of these dipshits. <laughs> And it's you're just so like, true. how is this, how, how do these things come out of his mouth? How did he not realize that it would be good to actually live in New York when oh one is gosh. declaring oneself mayor or candidate for mayor of New York? It might be good to move back there first. I mean, even Hillary Clinton moved to New York before she ran for the Senate, for God's sake. Um, it's just like, ugh. anyway, I mean, she moved to, you know. Chappaqua, but whatever. Um, <laughs> weird places I have been to socialist conferences in, actually, um, or socialist retreats in, anyway. But like, oh god. Um, I, I I wanted to kind of take it back to something we were talking about before, um, yeah. which is like, um, co like uh, community. The like when we were talking about mutual aid. A yeah. lot of that stuff is divided on racial lines. Mm -hmm. So there's like uh, people who are like completely excluded from um, unemployment benefits, like undocumented people. So like mm -hmm. neighborhoods where there are a lot of undocumented people, mutual aid becomes like um, completely necessary. And it reminded me mm -hmm. of um, one of my favorite passages from your teacher's uh, chapter um, which talks about like the rift that happened between like black neighborhoods as they started to get f more mm -hmm. funding for schools and the teachers union, which was like a lot of Jewish people who had like previous, a lot of Jewish men who had like previously won um, like a lot of like professionalization to their field. And, and yeah. they felt like sort of above doing that like type of community work. And like, I think it was a clear yeah. moment where um, the like yeah. labor aristocracy had an opportunity to expand their demands 
and um, yeah. just uh, sort of rested instead. Um, yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's the Al Shanker baby. Like it was, it's so interesting to go back to like the early history of like the Chicago teachers, like a hundred years ago who were doing very much the same stuff that the Chicago teachers are doing now. Yeah. Um, or like the communist union, the teachers union, just capital T capital U teachers union in New York in the thirties, forties, fifties, um, it was, you know, communist run and therefore crushed, but it was a lot of, and in that case, it was a lot of like Jewish communist teachers who were working in black and brown neighborhoods and were really organizing alongside black and brown communities, writing ethnic studies curricula, like all of this stuff that it's like, oh, this is what teachers who are doing well are doing now. We were doing it 50 years ago, 80 years ago, you know, and getting, I mean, I, I really feel a lot of kinship with the fact that like one of the first people run out of New York public schools for being a communist was also a Jaffe. I <laughs> yes, do not I think he's in relation or any close no. relation, but I'm going to claim him anyway. So solidarity to my ancestor, Louis Jaffe, who was run out for teaching about the Soviet Union in a way that the, you know, principals thought was too friendly to communism. But like the communist union was saying what we have to do is we have to organize in our communities with our students and their families. And then that gets sort of run out um, in order to, or not in order to, it gets run out because of anti-communism. And then the people who come back in and build the union that's the alternative to that are, you know, and they're, they're winning concrete gains for teachers but they sort of do it at the expense of those community ties. So then they, they go on strike for collective bargaining rights and they win collective bargaining. And you know the you end up with the Ocean Hill-Brownsville situation mm -hmm. where the community, mm -hmm. which is a, a largely a black community, is tired of the way they're treated by these teachers. They demand community control over the schools. And like, this is where that thing happens that always happens, right? Is like the demands of black and brown communities for community control over the schools turn into charter schools. Yeah, exactly. And like now you get, you know, people who are like, oh, well, they wanted community control and they wanted to fire these teachers. So here we'll give you some charter schools where we're just going to fire teachers like daily because it's fun. And God. that misses the point because it's still not c controlled by the community and it's still not like actually investing in that neighborhood. It's just taking this like, ooh, we like the idea of firing teachers more often. And yeah, yeah, and it's yeah. so infuriating, right? Because you just, you still see that legacy in the UFT now. And then, you know, but what's happened My during God. COVID has UFT, been that like- UFT just endorsed one of the most anti-Black um, city council people, like in the five boroughs. Like is is really bad. Um, that legacy is still there. <laughs> Also, and you know, and like the, the way that like the schools got forced closed, like I did a story on this back in April, was the, you know, the the Moore caucus, like the, the left wing caucus within mm -hmm. the UFT organizing a sick out and forcing the schools closed. And like this was without really any support from the union leadership exactly, because yeah. that was just not what they do. And yeah, we, we covered it a bit on this show, too, because yeah. it just feels then, like I, like to me, I'm like I'm like scrolling I'm like looking at the uh, at the more stuff like because like because I know what's going to happen. I know we don't have uh, healthcare infrastructure. I know we can't handle a pandemic. Yep. I've read up mm -hmm. on it and I'm like, well, which which labor is going to step up because somebody it, or else they'll all get killed. And like I was watching as the transit workers were all be, being fucking culled until like a hundred <laughs> of them died in the early age, like like 
moments of COVID and some of them were like working, starting like some of the transit workers union was like starting to work with like more caucus and like, mm -hmm. and, and, yeah. and that was like a really fruitful time, um, yeah. which is what got those initial shutdowns. And it's just like, I just kind of felt insane. Cause it's like, you know, it's like, oh, it's Sarah Jaffe and like a couple other like label pe labor people talking about this and it's not getting picked up at all. <laughs> no, it's really, um, it's weird, right? Cause you, you sort of, move like I, I sort of live in a world where like you know half of my social media feeds are radical teachers um, <laughs> and you know and so I I am like oh yeah this is happening that's what's happening of course that's what's happening like I'll call Kevin and see what's going on um, or rather I will send Kevin a Facebook message because let's be real that's how that happens um, sorry Zuckerberg um, and you know slide into somebody's signal messages maybe but yeah the the history that just gets lost is so totally. intense, right? That like the same thing with the art stuff to mm. return to that is like, you know, the history of like the artists union that was able to force artist inclusion in the original New Deal and, you know, force the, the creation of the arts projects. Right. That was, you know, this was a communist party project again. Um, and not like the only good things ever done in American left history were done by the communist party, but there were certainly <laughs> a bunch of them. It helped and... to have one as like the anchor of like yeah. demands. Um, and that we, we don't means that we are getting like compromise after compromise or like taking like like the way the two thousand dollar checks are working is like the perfect example two thousand dollar checks and fourteen hundred dollar checks so now they're going to be like no now maybe a thousand yeah just you know whatever i mean and that and that's and that's because the demand has no teeth if without teeth the they can walk all over us what is going to actually happen if we don't get i mean you know there was a moment last year where like police stations are getting set on fire, right? Like every town had like at least some cop cars burning. Um, and that was like, oh crap. Yeah. They were like, oh shit, we have to do things for people because they're going to like burn the whole country down. And my, my theory on why Seattle kind of persisted longer with their demonstrations is mm -hmm. is is, is it, it feels like a west coast thing is that crazy like well, portland like, too right like portland, yeah, portland was really did like 100 days but portland was also they shifted i mean it was always like black lives matter stuff but they shifted because the feds came in so they were processing the feds mm -hmm. for a while yeah so it was like yeah. i think like a subsect it was the same a part of the same thing but it was like a parenthetical yeah. maybe or something. but, yeah, but that was certainly a... fueled more than like i feel like in new york the it it didn't lose steam but someone said that the it didn't lose steam but the steam changed color like it very quickly was cop cars burning and then it was like kind of megaphony yeah there there's yeah. infiltration happening there's mm -hmm. definitely infiltration oh, happening the the beret the models that were <laughs> but i don't think that the infiltration is necessarily what like causes that? these to fall apart um cuz like in in the city hall encampment in in new york it was like they were obsessed with like security, but then they weren't having like meetings where everybody could just like talk, you know, it was, mm. there's, I, I think like there was this expression of rage and then uh, the back pedaling is almost like the, when you do something and then you have to like 
go to your therapist and ask them, why did I do that? And they're like, you did it because of this and this. this. And, uh, oh my goodness. But it also gets, uh, it, it gets really cold here. Like I've noticed every, mm -hmm. every like big um, uprising that has happened in, in New York since I was a kid, it, it gets crazy in the spring and summer. And then yeah, <laughs> in yeah. the fall. Meanwhile, uh, the Siberian city, I'm gonna mispronounce it. You, you, you could, you could, you could, whatever. Oh, fuck. I certainly Sorry. can't pronounce it. <laughs> they, uh, they, they protested because you know the stuff happening over there, and it was negative forty three. Oh yeah. And um, and because there's a YouTuber that I follow that posts about her life out there. Oh my god. And it's like maybe they're used to it, but like maybe it's worse. I don't know. They figured it out. Yeah. Negative Is her name Maria? Yes. Yeah. She, oh my god, I love that channel. I know, she's so cool. She's like, I'm gonna have to. You guys have to send yeah, me this link. Yeah, I need to we're gonna have to show she, notes that um, for sure. That's amazing. Her family goes know, to this like, lake for water, and they just have it in chunks of ice. It's so cool. She's, yeah. You anyway, should, like, <laughs> sorry. Are, are way more into, like I grew up in Boston. I used to grow up with like snow, and then I lived in the South for a while, and now I'm just like. My blood has thinned and I can't handle the cold. Mm -hmm. I went for like a 20 Someone minute build the today. protest igloo. Come on. Yeah. yeah. Ooh, that's a good idea. Let's go. Everyone gets uh, Uniqlo thermals. I, I, I mean, this is, I yeah, live in Uniqlo thermals. Um, but, you know, so like thinking about like the, the NGO question and then like this sort of police cars on fire question, I think is, is really, it's interesting because like, there's, there's sort of the push that like everything has to be an organization and like sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes the thing that has to happen is is just masses in the street and the expressions of anger are going to be, um, they're going to be what they are. And they're going to be sort of inchoate things that are made up of, of masses of different groups and different people. And like there's always going to be the people who are pushing to escalate and there's always going to be the people who are pushing it to, to calm down. And like... I um, read Mike Davis and John Wiener set the night on fire, which is like a history of LA in the sixties. And they do a really good job. I think of explaining like this sort of big moments of riots and things like the Watts uprising and then sort of pulling apart like all of the different pieces and explaining like this is the growth of the, the Panthers and this is the growth of, you know, this organization. And this is like all of the different currents that are happening that came together in some of these really big moments to make really big things happen, but also we're doing different things in different places on different levels. Um, it's a really fascinating book. It's, I mean, it makes my book look like small and thin, but it's really good. And yeah. And just like thinking about the ways that like these movements come together and then don't, and like the different things that, that have to get accomplished. Like, you know, there's there's going to be moments of sort of insurrectionary energy that that we can't really predict. Well, but I think I think part of it is like um, something that the the book is emblematic of, which is um, globalization. Uh, so we we don't have a lot of like forces of production that um, can yeah. uh, like that's one of the like teeth that we've lost is. Yeah. Um, Right. Uh, uh, shutting, like, of course, there's like a, a lot of pr people like really important at the at the site of production and, and, and stuff does happen like in June when, or yeah, in June when the dock workers had a, mm -hmm. a very historic s 
stoppage for eight I'll hours? W. I'll W. Um, they're my favorite. I've read, so there's like one biography of Harry Bridges, who is one of the founders of the ILWU, and was just like, I have a stuffed animal named after him because he's just one of my favorite American <laughs> labor history characters. Um, and there's just this out of print biography. So I like ordered one from somewhere on the internet that I could get this out of print book. And I, I really want to bring it back into print because it's really good. I also kind of just want to write a biography of Harry Bridges because he was amazing. Um, I also kind of want to write a movie about Harry Bridges because he was amazing. (laughs) Oh yes. Um, More, more red movies. Yes. Yes. Well, like the best thing about Harry Bridges was like, he was Australian. And so they were always trying to deport him and it went to the Supreme (laughs) Court, I think like twice. (laughs) <laughs> because they couldn't ever prove that he was a communist. So, like, they were always trying to deport him, and they could never friggin' deport the guy. And so, you know, that that union has that history, and this is another West Coast thing, right? And the ILWU is, like, all up and down the West Coast. Um, and, and, yeah, like, that, that sort of engagement is... Engagement? God, that sounds like the... <laughs> internet word um but that's sort of like those the unions that have that kind of radical politics that are going to be like we're going to shut it down because black lives matter we're going to shut it down in oakland because you know occupy has called for a strike like we're going to do these things in solidarity with and in sort of collaboration with this movement and this is what we can do as a union and like another interesting thing about the ilwu is that um because like it doesn't take as many dock workers to unload ships anymore because now you've got big giant cranes and and you know shipping containers they negotiated they were always all one of the reasons that i love this union is they were always negotiating shorter working hours Um, (laughs) they had a 32 hour work week back in like the 40s that's what like we were Um, all supposed to that was like the keynesian all right go on sorry more harry bridges is but like so they when the you know, when they started automating these jobs, they negotiated. So like the workers would get a cut of the expanded profits as they were getting sort of early retirement. And mm. the other interesting thing about that, of course, is that like it takes fewer workers to run the port. It also takes fewer workers to stop working to stop the port. <laughs> and so, you know, those are the things that are interesting. Whereas yeah. like the stopping of production in other ways, um, this is like Joshua Clover's book that I, I cite all the time, Riot Strike Riot, mm-hmm. where he basically argues that like the period of the strike is mostly done. And he have a, he and I have an ongoing fight about like how dead the strike is. But the shutting down of production very is very American centric. Hmm? <laughs> very American centric take. To shut. Oh, to. Yeah, <laughs> right, exactly. I, I, like, like I would hard disagree with that. Um. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> But then, but even then, right, there are less workers doing manufacturing globally, even True. when we're counting the fact that most of the, I literally keep looking up at the wall here because the sublet that I'm in has a giant map of the world on the wall. So I'm just like, the manufacturing is happening there. And like, <laughs> this is where your Siberian YouTuber is. Um, right. But like, the the fact that like, there are fewer people necessary to do this manufacturing that then like the way that it's done is these fissured um systems so like foxconn owns factories in multiple countries and they make things that are contracted to them by apple and other things i was just writing something about um indian workers at a foxconn sub subcontractor because foxconn is subcontractors um, that we're making like a cheap version of the iPhone for the Indian market because Apple has had a hard time cracking the Indian market. Um, so the workers 
were getting underpaid and they just like wrecked shit at the factory. Um, you can definitely still wreck shit in a factory um, yes. and you will screw up production, but it's much, much harder to do it in a lot of cases. And it's certainly much harder to do it in the U S because there's just fewer factories. And because like the bosses are often trying to close those factories that are still there in order to move them to India or China or and, Bangladesh. And because our police are so fucking militarized mm-hmm. and, and this, the, the, secure the security apparatus has expanded so much that like you can't just kind of waltz into the ceo's house and beat the shit out of him we can't um, do bond snapping it's tragic <laughs> no I mean, but it's why, true right like and why people he do like shuts well, down stuff yes. yeah people they who do, don't think abolishing the police is a working class you know <laughs> goal or are well they're wrong but like uh, it's always funny to me when people are like but like the police are the working class i was like no you were wrong. Uh, the Occupy chant that was like, join us. That's actually my, my a point take, of contention uh, here. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it is a point of contention in, on this podcast. On I'm this on your side, Sarah. I, like, I, I think they are technically workers, but they are class traders. That's what I think. I think, well, I like, think if, if we're technically talking, but they're class traders. So, and, I and mean, I, they are workers in that they are doing wage labor, right? Yeah, and that's that, what I mean. Like, you know, but the and I, I I also get annoyed when people sort of number one take on the cops is like bust the police unions because like the police in places where the police don't have unions are still the fucking police and they still get these you know ridiculous deals from whatever and it's not because they have unions it's because they are allied with the the far right forces in <laughs> whatever and also with capital right like yes yes literally the sort of fusion center where like JP Morgan execs and, and, you know, NYPD people are sitting together, like looking over the surveillance cameras and they're probably watching us talk right now. Um, I mean, yeah. Because they're probably spying on us. Let's be real. We're all um, on the list. I'm sure that like Facebook and whatever have given them access to all that data too. Mm-hmm. Um, and that they're like this whole thing. Like this is, this is why I sort of insist on, on talking about class composition, right? Is it like just because, you are a wage laborer does not mean that like you are part of a class that like understands itself as a class, um, class yeah. in itself, class for itself, blah, 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 Marx, whatever. Like, so, or if you, of- or if you do, you are actively working against that class. You are a yeah. class trader. And I think a lot of the, the cops who are, they are willing to on the, on the one hand, like participate in their cop union and on the other hand, bust yeah. union actions mm-hmm. everywhere else. That is a traitor to yeah. a, well, a the, class. The thing about it, right, is that like I am I'm always I wanted to write something about this and then like the, the world exploded a million times and I didn't. Um about the way that like police unions basically don't function like unions. They function like the mob. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right. They don't function with threats to withhold their labor most of the time because normally when you know they threaten to withhold their labor, we're all kind of and like it's cool. great. <laughs> you know, the cops are doing the work to rule again. You can smoke on the subway. Um, but they function with threats of violence, right? Like when the cops when the cops protested Rudy Giuliani, right? Like <laughs> Oh, they're they're basically amazing. functioning through like threats of violence and like you know i i was just reading i haven't watched the whole video but i was reading the sort of summary of aoc's experience of being in the capital and it's so telling right that like the person who she ends up being traumatized by is a cop who is like saying he's like you know we're gonna try to get you to safety but like he's actually just like sort of busting into her office bellowing like an asshole yeah. screaming where is she and of course she's friggin' terrified like 
Yeah, and, and I would they didn't be. tell her where to go. No, like, exactly. They didn't tell her where to go. They didn't identify themselves as a mm-hmm. cop. They did nothing. They were just kind of like, where are you? You know? And yeah. And like that, that the way that like, you know, we've just tracked however many cops that were from around the country who like traveled down there to be part of that mob. It's, you know, like the cops are Trump's base. The cops are always the sort of mobilized base of fascism, um, whether or not we want to call it Trumpism fascism or like the certainly people in that mob. No, of course. And, and, and to me, of Trump, to right? me, then then it becomes like, um, what is what is the security solution for someone like AOC? Not that, frankly, I give a shit about the fucking Black Panthers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, yeah. AOC and the armed working class. Don't yeah. AOC, you know, kind of. <laughs> but I, but I right, mean, for, like you know, when they, we brought yeah. in the National Guard, and like yeah. then it's like you know, you that did you see the picture of the National Guard guy reading Ayn Rand uh, on the floor? Uh, yeah. Oh yeah. my gosh! Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, but they, you know, then they're like, oh, crap, we have to vet the National Guard for, like, fascist sympathies. Because, like, where do, like, the Oath Keepers get their people? It's the military and the cops. We just found out. We just found out we should be vetting them. Yeah. Like, well, it's 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 a, it's another extension of the complete individualization of literally everything is that, like, they, like to if every single security person needs to be vetted for the person that they are supposed to do security for mm-hmm. there's no because because there's no unifying project of america <laughs> like, it's like well i mean they're they're you know the unifying project of america was was racism yeah yeah and that's like, getting, and, so and, and, what does that yeah. mean when you are not considered part of the race that you know is the 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 thing that was the unifying project of america but here's um, the, yeah and it, here's the other aspect that i always bring up when we talk about the cops is that the 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 nypd is um one of the if not the biggest employer of black people in the city yeah um so they're trying to like the 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 more liberal wing of capitalism or like the get the uh, the, uh, meaning like not the complete fashy side is just is 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 doing a sort of like similar to what the cia is doing right when they're like we're hot we want to hire more women guards like like it's, it's like literally <laughs> happening in front of us the the yeah. sort of like um sanitation of these um uh what we know are fundamentally um rotten uh institutions yeah. so like with, with aoc what i have been worrying about with aoc's story becoming this much bigger thing beyond yeah. her personal story is um, another way to then sanitize the FBI, sanitize the cops, mm-hmm. and be like, um, "Here we got, we all got Nancy Pelosi's challenge coin, and we're good now." <laughs> what the hell is a challenge coin? Like, this is a thing that just oh. crossed the path like this year. I'm like, where yeah. the hell do these things come from? What is this garbage? You should get the the zine that explains. I don't know how why it just like uh, blossomed this year. I mean, because of like the anti cop protests. But there's this uh, zine that I feel like is definitive. I can send you, and probably oh, yes. where it's research we'll and destroy, and uh, it's like really well researched. I guess yeah. is their collective name is that, and it goes into. <laughs> oh wait, so you I don't know what they are? They're coins that the police trade to yeah. boost morale. 
not just and, police but they're kind of like girl scout badges where it's like yeah i because they have one for the 2020 like i survived the 20 i went on the roller coaster and lived kind of shit um, they're, they're so evil too because um, there's one i mean there's just so many that reveal how they speak with each other and stuff like the one uh someone just posted it on twitter where some there's something called cocking where it was reported that nypd would like draw like dicks on each other's like worksheets so they had to like redo them and then the challenge coin proved wrong that 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 was like a rumor that they started to make it seem a little more more like teenage boy and the real thing is that they would take a live chicken and put it in someone's locker for the whole day and the chicken would be you know tortured and like destroy the officer's stuff and then at the end of his you know end of tour open the locker and there would be a live chicken who's like you know like proudly dying i don't know so anyway real fucked up shit and <laughs> it's like so cutesy but in these little like enamel Oh, yeah, it's it's the cops themselves, too, because they're, like, they can do it because it, like, boosts morale. How does it boost morale to put a live chicken in somebody's fucking closet? I don't get it. You know what? I was never a frat boy. I'm sure you're shocked. Um, (laughs) I don't get it. I never played high school sports. I don't understand hazing. This all seems really stupid to me. What can I say? I just grew up to be a grumpy communist. Um, they're they're oh, evil. The yeah, they're the, just... these coins are evil. A lot of them like celebrate like completely like racist events, mm-hmm. and it's like it's sort of like a, I was there badge at yeah. this racist I event. And your honor student is one. Because <laughs> I kind of kind of understand it just from like there would be people at jobs I had who were more along that line, and it's a lot of like machismo. Mm-hmm. Um, strength through suffering kind of thing and because that like pranks are like construction workers are always like apparently like you really can't leave your shoes around um because everybody will just steal them like when you're steal them i thought they were gonna like pissing them or something um i mean i feel like the communalism and like strength through suffering if it's like sleeping on a really cold floor in like a punk house like that's where i feel it not like are we gonna make punk house challenge coins i could get out okay Uh, this is what i need to bring up because my my friends did this for their book um my i'm friends with this press called silver sprocket and they made challenge coins for um do you guys know um Matt Lubinchowski. Yes, yeah. Um, So they they have like a new book of comics and they made like an anti-foot challenge going to go with it. And it's really good. It's got the super serum (laughs) on it. Yeah. But that's the thing. I think we need to make like, I think we do need to make left, like a whole series of left challenge coins. Like, and I think- Richard Spencer. (laughs) Yeah. I I do actually have a little- badge that a friend of mine in London made of, of um, a face punching a, a Pepe the Frog. Um, oh, and I do treasure it. One. It is a wonderful thing. Um, that's a merit badge that like, yeah, you exactly. earned. Yeah, like, exactly. A bunch of fascists, yeah. you know? It could be like a yeah. DNR. No, is it? A do not resist. Wait, no, there's like a... The, when the police arrest you and then they give you a desk appearance ticket, yeah, yeah. D- um, DNR is different. Yeah. Do not resist. Yeah, yeah. So different. DNR is completely. very different. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that's what they no, gave I know everyone. what you mean and I do not remember the initials either. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, but, um, oh yeah, but I did want to ask you. That's dissertation. <laughs> oh, <fucking laughs> oh, goodness. Yeah, I like, what are we? I, hmm. 
Anyway. What, Darcy, know. what did you want to ask? Oh, yeah. I just want to ask, looping back to most of the things, and you've been doing this work for so long, and uh, the, I don't know, just like the last year has kind of exploded everything. I keep on returning to like the phrase, just like long haul of like how long this is and like back to the, the thing of like class consciousness, which like Americans have very little and how, you know, reading Marx in 2021 now and it, you know, moved to tears yeah. at how, how similar it is. And yeah. I don't know, I feel like people have sprouted up, um, you know, they've learned things and then they forget and they go back to their lives and they get re-radicalized and like re whatever radicalized yeah. in the good way. And, uh, yeah. sorry. They keep taking words from us. Like, in I know of- it's really bullshit, <laughs> yeah. man. Like, anyway, I wondered if you have any, any thoughts on just how, I don't know, the drudgery of how, sorry, that's, you know, no, pessimistic, it's real. It's but absolutely like- real. Um, Oh my God. I, feel really old a lot of the time these days um i also just think like pandemic is making us all feel like old ladies like all i do is i stay home and i knit and i drink whiskey by myself and i watch tv and i am just a grandma um it's fine but i think the thing that that i think is really important is to have your people and that you know political organizing but also like your people who you trust and that is not always every single member of an organization you might be a part of or every single person who identifies as a XYZ leftist on the internet or every person who shows up at the protest. But it is like have your people and know who they are. And that like, you know, we get these narratives about self-care that are, are also super individualized right now. And I have internalized all that shit really intensely. I'm, you know, I still live alone and I feel like I'm responsible for taking care of myself all the time. And I'm like 40 years old and I'm just learning how to like ask my friends for help to say like, this is hard and I need somebody to take care of me right now. Um, and that like the idea of, of, community care is something that we have to actually build into the movement in order to keep it going. That I think is super, super important because like the organizations are not always going to last. They are going to come and go. And that's mostly fine. I, I am super on board with like, not every political organization is meant for every moment. Um, the jobs are going to come and go, whether you're doing movement jobs or you're doing other jobs, but if you know who your people are, that keeps you straight on what you believe and what work you find meaningful. And you can check yourself when you start to feel a little insane, which happens to me a lot when I've been on Twitter too long and I'm just like, ah, it's really important to have like your touchstones and your things that you bring you back to what you believe and what you care about and what matters and what the next step is and not something that, that I think you're getting you know, at something that like the that I think that the 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 larger left as a whole needs to internalize from the queer movement yes which is like you know the the idea of um uh you know chosen family uh, which <laughs> is, yeah. is um 
but it's so it's so much more than just chosen family it's like yeah. um this is um this is like a kinship and that and that yeah. and something that 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 different queer theorists have been developing um mm -hmm. is is like um the larger like com community accountability Mm -hmm. So like right. something something that gets like totally bastardized into some fraught dumbass conversation about cancel culture could actually <laughs> yes. be a conversation about like um community care and mm -hmm. and restorative justice and like yeah. things that really matter and yeah. and that like you know um because it it to, I've when, whenever something like implodes it to me it's like often because of some like really um inscrutable interpersonal drama that um mm -hmm. could have been solved if 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 there was a dedicated um community care aspect yeah. to the organization yeah yeah so i'm, I'm, I'm reading <laughs> i'm reading david wanarovitz's um memoir yes. right now yes. which is just beautiful it's like i'm i'm reading it and i'm just like i want to write like this like this is it's not fair that he could do all those things and write to um and it's also just you know like bringing me back to thinking about like being you know I remember before it, cocktail drugs before HIV was manageable right I remember really being like finding this terrifying when I was a kid and you know I was a kid in the suburbs of Massachusetts I was not around what was actually going on in any way, but I, I, it was, it's formative to my political consciousness in a way that like, I think I'm still constantly discovering when I go back and read things that take place then. Um, and when I, you know, reading about just the, the, all of the aspects of the movement that people built then that was about healthcare access. It was about recognition. It was just about like, fuck you, Reagan, acknowledge that this exists and we're dying. Um, but it was also about like, how do we take care of each other in the struggle so that we can stay in the struggle? So that even as people are dying and we are taking care of that and we are taking time for grief. And I'm reading this because I'm trying to write about grief, which is even more, you know, potent now than yeah. it ever has been. And, you know, I, I think it's really telling that we don't, sort of take time as a society to grieve the fact that, you know, we are getting close on 500,000 people who have died just in this country of this thing. And collectively, like, we get a shrug, you know? We got, like, there were some pretty lights at Biden's inauguration and that's supposed to, like, suffice for a national mourning. It's just like, this is horrific. Mm -hmm. And if we don't have structures that care, because the broader society clearly doesn't. Right then like, what is the point of the left if we actually are just being cruel and crappy to each other? And this is, you know, connects to the mutual aid question. It connects to so many of these things is like, how are we making sure that our people survive? Yeah, absolutely. Cause like, yeah, something I, I wrote down earlier was when we were talking about like the dock workers and stuff is like, yeah, be, like, like this is like a point of action. And if we have a healthy left, we can all yeah. band together and identify this point of action where right. like the the it, it, the rest of the media apparatus like is actively trying to bury it so <laughs> yes. it's like it's like these sort of moments i was i was thinking about this recently with the hunts point strike and mm -hmm. that like 
they there there were fourteen hundred people striking for that, um, but ten thousand people work in uh, in the actual food processing center distribution center, um, yeah. and uh, it, it kind of speaks to like this was also the first strike they'd done in like thirty years. So for mm-hmm. a lot of people. I, it was kind of mind blowing because they just like they understood everything, their power as workers and all of that. But like, um, I think because there is a kind of lack of experience with it, you know, they stopped train or stopped trucks coming in one day, and then their union told them to draw back, and so they drew back. Uh, but like, there has to be the ability to like. And they, they've been trying to make it harder. Like, there's a reason that the whole thing is not unionized, but it, it has to be about, like, kind of these, like, individual actions that you have to take to talk to someone and be like, hey, like, I always, I use this street fighter example, street fight example, <laughs> that one of them says where it's like, you got to just, like, get with your coworkers and ask to make sure you have a fan. Like, and mm. that's the, like, Aww. Yeah. yeah, but that's like it has to. Yeah, you have to like be be good to each other, and like people have to be able to trust each other. Yeah, yeah. I, I was just saying it's increasingly hard with like a the vast vast amount of like surplus labor right now. Mm-hmm. Um, like, yeah. Uh, it, I you know I guess that, wrapping up here like the 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 big a, a big question right now like and 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 is like throughout your book is um the the freedom from work or the freedom to work um and and because there is this contention of like um these things that previously weren't considered labor because of sexism or because it just shouldn't be labor or like um everything shouldn't be labor and things instead should be like non-alienated tasks yeah. that we all do collectively yes. so it's like i think it's it's hard to um differentiate a lot of these things in the now versus like mm-hmm. in a in a utopian goal sense right. um but in the now people just need support and uh, and it's it's increasingly difficult when um like there there's such high unemployment um yeah. and i was i i guess like to wrap up, I guess we should talk about sort of that that sort of landscape that we're up against right now with the huge amount of, of surplus labor and what to do. <laughs> yeah, and and you know, it's the American history actually shows us that like these moments where there was massive unemployment have actually been moments of of possibility for the left and possibility for workers, right? Like we got, you know, the deeply flawed but still like functional for many years structure of labor law during the great depression um we got the new deal because again because there were like literal armies of unemployed people marching on washington and state capitals and that like it took a while it didn't happen immediately as the you know the stock market crashes in 1929 it's 1930 something before roosevelt gets elected and and before these things actually start rolling out and even then, like it takes years within that pro- that framework to get to the you know degree to which they expanded to, and then you get a war, and well, whatever we had to go. Well, fat yeah, smash Hitler. Perhaps but, like, when 
in, in, in <laughs> New know. York, in New York anyway, perhaps like when the unemployment runs out and the jobs don't come back, then we'll, we'll, we'll probably see a lot of these actions. Yeah. And it's also, I think, I think it's real that like it's winter and everybody's cold and everybody's tired and everybody's depressed. Um, and the, you know, virus is back up again. And, you know, it was, it was, but it was not for nothing that like all of this stuff happened last summer when people had been on lockdown for months and now it's warm out and people are just sort of exploding out of their spaces. And, you know, you get a wave of Black Lives Matter that's bigger than any before Mm -hmm. and that is in places that aren't just New York and Philadelphia and Los Angeles and Seattle and Portland, but also like small towns in Eastern and, you know, Western Pennsylvania. And yeah, people are, are looking for something. And like, not everybody set a police car on fire. Although I swear to God, so many people set police cars on fire. Um, yeah. One of but the best that... moments of my life. Not, not that I did it, but like. <laughs> I, I heard this. It was, uh... really, it was so much. That I'm trying to write about this because I'm trying to write this book about grief. And I'm sort of starting this proposal out with like talking about like a police car on fire as like an expression of rage and grief. And that these are things that are, are always bound up in each other. And, you know, um who are they willing to let die in a pandemic mm. is the people who aren't productive, the people who aren't seen as important enough workers and the less work that is necessary. I mean, not just talking about like production work being automated and outsourced, but also like it turns out that you can deal with fewer workers at the grocery store or whatever um, that you can, you know, fire all your delivery drivers and replace them with DoorDash people. Right. Like all of these things. You can produce hand sanitizer Um, with prison labor instead of. Right. um, Exactly. You can do all these things in these like increasingly screwed up ways with fewer workers that actually get paid and treated like workers and more people that you can just treat as expendable like prisoners. Um, That is, you know, it's horrifying. Right. It's absolutely just like the, you know, the sort of necropolitics of all of this stuff are just like. You know, if you start to think about it, you actually just want to curl up in a ball and cry for three weeks, um, which is why we're all depressed right now. And <laughs> yeah, and and like, but it's also, it's potentially explosive at sort of any moment in time. And that I think is why, um, even though people who are like, you know, GameStop is like a working class uprising, it's like, no, it's not. But there is something explosive sort of, circulating everywhere and that can get co-opted in all sorts of directions it can go get co-opted into sort of essentially you know on a big picture sort of meaningless things like buying a bunch of stocks in a you know video game company yeah what what the liberals don't understand is that lefty people love a good opportunity to heighten the contradictions (laughs) right (laughs) i mean i I mean the like what has what kind of like blew my mind uh we actually recorded on that day and i had like not slept and like was going absolutely insane about uh about it was like i like I do not remember like a lay person um, in 2008 who was like, oh, fuck the hedge funds, like fuck them, kill them. I want them to like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you're seeing a kind of anger towards capital that like yeah, yeah. did not exist before. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's you know, it's organized. I, I um, like 
there were a lot of terrible hot takes. And then there's like a few people that I go to who, who write about finance, who like either worked in finance or sort of study it and understand it. Um, and I was just like, okay, I'm going to go to these people. Um, I texted one of them on the day it was going off and I was just like, I need you to be here to laugh about this with me right now. And he's like, I have just been writing 8,000 words about the dark side of Bitcoin. And I was like, I hate you. I need to make jokes right now. And then, you know, he, he satisfied by whatever, by writing a piece for the guardian about it. That was just like an extended dick joke, but, um, cause it, it was an extended it, dick it, joke, It was, but like the way that, you know, this, this sort of understanding of like, yes, finance is a closed circle you can't sort of win it within it but also there is something collectively going on here that is a rejection of the way things are and the power structures that exist Mm -hmm. and that can get co-opted by the right really easily it can get co-opted by a lot of things really easily but we also you know need for there to be a space on the left that says like we also want to destroy hedge funds (laughs) <laughs> really, really, we want to destroy hedge funds. We want to destroy hedge funds in a real way, not just by like you know blowing up GameStop stock. And I think uh, right after the GameStop stock, GameStop stock thing, there is this like terrible argument of like, what if we like collaborated with the fascists to take down the other fascists? Sorry to sorry, that's a derail, but yeah, yeah, yeah. but but co opted and like. Well, it's also, it's, it's the same, like, argument as, as, like, let's cooperate with, I mean, it's, with the insurrection. I'll say it's worse, but, like, it's, it's the same kind of logic of we'll cooperate with the Democratic Party, and, like, this will not totally blow up in our face, like, like it has every single time we've had a time. We'll just, we'll just be the liberals of the 1930s and just work with the Nazis like ahead of them or something the the way i like differentiate this take is like is saying like you know trump got the second highest amount of votes of any presidential candidate ever in the most recent election so there are tons of working class people who voted for trump who do need to be reached by the left they are different than Mm -hmm. the steve Mm -hmm. bannonite fucking yes. insane people on the internet because <laughs> all well, and they're different from people. people who literally like marched into the capitol with guns trying to lynch aoc mm-hmm. and like to whatever degree the democratic party is a waste of space which it is mm-hmm. that said somebody who wants to lynch alexandria ocasio-cortez is not on our side yeah and like is probably never ever winnable to our mm-hmm. side Right. If, if that's okay, just, like the reality. My, comp- and my compromise like- there is if they want to lynch any congressperson, doesn't matter which one they get a hold of, fine. I'm, f- I'm <laughs> fine, frankly. It, but it, it, the fact that they are hyper focused on like b- on racial and sexist lines is. Um, you know, that cannot, there's no bridge there. There's no bridge. Yeah. And they don't. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> frankly but i i recommend andy gillett's piece on the staten island uh autonomous zone because <laughs> it's <laughs> it's like the perfect encapsulation of 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 this is like you know they're like if 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 they wanted if these folks wanted to reach like we're right here being like yeah we think that your commercial rent should be canceled and like we'll fight for that 
Um, yeah. but they don't want it. They they just want to yeah. fucking be reactionary. So right. No, we want to pay rent. <laughs> like, yeah. And we want yeah, to be exposed they... to coronavirus. I asked my we landlord want to, to pay my rent more because it'll make me hustle more. No. <laughs> it's it's so strange, right? Because it's it's just like. But I mean, there's just like, there's a group of people who like, let's just be real about it, who like, mm. just think the working class is white men. Right. And oh, like, yeah. so you see white men doing anything and you're like, this is a working class uprising. And it's like, no. It's really the people that have been driving left a pickup behind. truck. And it's like, dude, pickup trucks are fucking expensive. <laughs> oh, you know? <laughs> like, the dude who's and driving the big ass. Yeah, that shit is not cheap. Or, or it's, like, it's not it, like you could just like go out and get a Ford F one fifty. And they're because, also like, not the truck you get. Like if you actually want to haul shit, because everyone I know who's really serious about like <laughs> needing that, you buy a like really scary looking van. Like that's. The- <laughs> <laughs> well, I also like find no windows. I also the- find that there are people defending the labor aristocracy. Like they're just like they're like it's fine they're working class they're extremely wealthy and we just need to work with them and it's similar to like you're saying sarah working within the democratic party it's like you can't like it's 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 gone it's too far gone well and like the the question of the sort of powers of oh yeah it's just it's just a misunderstanding of class on every level right to to say that like the working class is these people who have XYZ characteristics because that is what the working class was back in 1930 when the CIO was getting started. Um, that's just not true on right. most levels. And like, you know, on some level, like a, a dock worker organized with the ILWU could be described as labor aristocracy in a lot of ways, right? They have a really friggin' good union contract and a good job and a good wage and vacations and all of these things like on that level right you know it's absolutely you could make that argument you can make that argument about unionized teachers but that's what what i mean is like they, be, they believe of, they believe yeah. they could like elect their union elect union elections away the, their way to a better labor aristocracy like uh, across the board like like people who think it's a, a it, it's a good project to say like um which I, I don't think is a is a bad project like as as long as it's not like the only project uh, you know um, to to sort of like try to disrupt the existing unions and um, and uh, reform them it's a it's a reformist yeah. it's a union reformist move um, and I I, I kind of get that but um, it it also uh, it's 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 not just a misunderstanding of class I think it's also it's just a um, I don't know. It's a it's an understanding of power. I don't necessarily agree with. I guess it's like there's um or it's like a question of strategy. I don't necessarily agree yeah. with or something. Well, I mean, it's you know in a moment where there's six percent private sector union density, which is a number that is burned into the inside of my brain as a labor <laughs> journalist. Um, the idea that the most important thing to do now is to go into industries that are already unionized mm-hmm. on purpose in order to take over leadership in those is, I mean, a, like what industry teachers. Okay. The teachers are actually doing okay right now. So like what else? Okay. What other, what other heavily unionized industry is there? Yeah, there's not, <laughs> there aren't that many. Um, no. so, so what is the, the point of that, you know, which is to say that like, you know, there's union leadership in a lot of places, <clears throat> like some we were talking about earlier, 
that <laughs> suck, um, yeah. frankly. Yeah. But also, there are 92% of private sector workers don't have any organized power on the job. Yes, and a lot None. of the Zero. a lot of the most so important. That sites... seems like a much more important project to Ex me. Exactly. Yeah, and to you me, know? to me, it's also like there's the a lot of the most important sites of production within America is prisons and undocumented people. So it's like if if yeah. if you're going to abandon your principles about prisons and the rights of the undocumented, then you are you are actually losing the most important people at the site of production. Yeah. I don't know. That's, that's my other take on it. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, the, the prison, I mean, somebody um, asked me earlier, God, I've done so many, I've had a weird day. I just had like God a lot press. of interviews. Um, just this, this day was just like scheduled from like 9.30 a.m. to now. Um, <laughs> we should wrap up. I, yeah, but somebody was sort of like, what, what kinds of work shouldn't exist? And I was like, a lot of them. Um, but like prison, prisons. Nobody yeah. should be in a prison at all, neither to work nor be imprisoned. Um, there should be no labor going on in prisons at all. And, you know, but you get these sort of short-term arguments about like, well, we need the jobs. And like, where does that end up, right? Like, where does that is back to Joshua Clover, right? He calls it like the affirmation trap, where, you know, on one hand, you get workers sort of stuck affirming their own exploitation and like, you know, begging for the factory not to be closed and opened in Mexico or in, in Bangladesh or, or, you know, South Carolina. Um, and on the other hand, you know, it's, it's things like prisons, which are very strategically cited all around in rural counties where there are no friggin' jobs. Mm -hmm. And then you get, I mean, not only do you get, um, jobs in those places that people get invested in but then you also get like population count so like you actually get more representation in congress because you got Dang. a prison in your neighborhood um like, and oh, they can't just, vote like, it's so <laughs> fucked um prisoners who can't vote though um and yeah it's it's just like one of the many ways in which this whole racist system still functions and yeah, you, you just like, we don't want to sort of say, and this is something that I was saying to somebody else, like, we don't want to say that, like, the dignity of work is a thing we want to fight for. Like, I want to fight for the dignity of humans. That includes, like, children who can't work and retired people, people with disabilities, people in prisons, people who are sick, have long COVID, people who, you know, just fucking don't want to work still have dignity, are still humans. Mm -hmm. Like, we we don't deserve things because we work. We deserve things because we exist on this planet and before it was enclosed by fucking capital, it was all the commons. And it should be ours. Um, yes, very some, good. everything for everyone, the end. <laughs> <laughs> that, there we go. That's perfect. Full communism that. now. Um, I've got Rosa behind me and Emma behind me, so who knows? <laughs> uh, well, they probably would have fought, but it's cool. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's it, it it's great. Yeah, synth synthesize those two positions, and we're golden. Uh, yeah, our <laughs> you know. <laughs> Love the productive tensions. Oh, has anyone? Uh, because as you said earlier when you were like, I'm a woman and my book has the word love in it. Has anyone thought yep. it's a Valentine's Day book? Has anyone Not been yet, like... but we'll see. <laughs> we'll sure see. Um, Red for it... Valentine's Day. 
I mean, like, let's be real. Like, I'm a total sap. Like, the conclusion of my book is just like, here are all my feelings. Um, it really is. It's so. It's just so much. It was just like I wrote this thing as like a love letter to a handful of comrades who um, one of them still hasn't read it because he's an asshole. But whatever. Um, get your people. Some of them will turn out to be jerks. But then you just move on with the ones who aren't jerks. Comrades are not your friends. So I, just I knew the, this is a real thing. I just pulled this up the, a... the conclusion. It just says that you want to make a cake and the cake is full of rainbows and then everyone <laughs> can eat a piece of the cake. Yes. So it's a yeah. mean girls. Cake for everyone. Um, I haven't made a cake in a while. I've been baking a lot of cookies, though. This oh, is yeah. my, my lockdown hobby. Yeah, I made like oh. a ton of cookies at the beginning in March and it took, but freeze them all so that you can have an individual <laughs> one. And it yeah. took me yeah. like basically so until like yeah. December to finish it, but yeah. It's, wow. it's amazing. It's amazing. Baking is great. Um, I've learned to cook for the first time. I'm like 40 and now I'm finally capable of making myself dinner. It's That's great. Awesome. Becoming a grown up in Self-care. this world. I, um, well, that, yeah, it's, it's uh, you know, this is, your, these are things. Your book kind of spun me into like an existential, like if I've monetized my hobbies, what am I doing? And then I was like, I got, and it's, I'll figure it out. And then, um, <laughs> and so I realized this week today, I was like, wow, I started hand washing all my stuff and I'm making bread instead of buying it because I need purpose. <laughs> That's like, I feel like it's in either a strange flavor or like German ideology yeah. where he talks about like the way, like capitalism makes us turn all of the things that make us human mm-hmm. into into something that we're not connected to and it means that we have to end up trying to make ourselves human in the ways that animals exist yes yeah with tiny houses in your tiny ho- oh my god don't even get me started on fucking tiny houses I don't know about tiny houses but, but yeah, uh, no, but all- like the, the way like it's so funny, right? I took up knitting a few years ago because I would otherwise be like sitting and watching TV with my then partner and realize that I would just pick up my phone and start scrolling through Twitter. And I was like, I need something to do with my hands so I don't look at my phone. And then when lockdown first started and I had like severe, severe pandemic brain and I couldn't focus, so I couldn't like read. And I was doing a bunch of work. So at the end of the day, when I was done with work, I was just like watching reruns of Criminal Minds and knitting because that was like what I could do. And I do find it really soothing, though. It's true. It's it's. And then I like laugh at myself because I'm like, ooh, I want to finish this sweater that I'm making. Um, and then I'm like, why am I even pushing myself to be productive with my hobbies? Yes, because it becomes is a whole other thing? thing. Yeah, it, it's and weird. I did not, you know. Um, and I for, just, like, for me, cooking, cooking on the floor to keep like to keep cooking from like becoming a. A, like you know a, a, a monetizer hobby like a, a like project for me i love to just like i love to constantly think about technique and i love to constantly think about or origins of food mm-hmm. um and then it becomes a sort of like craft that <laughs> i don't know i that's like something that's like to me was the most like romantic part of going to art school was like this is a craft and yeah. this is um, a beautiful a, a work of beauty, and it's yeah. spiritual to me, and it yeah. and it connects me to all these cultures in the world, um, and like and and it, it, it's so it, and so I I can like f- focus on 
on it that way instead of being yeah. but then of course i sometimes i ruin it by posting a picture <laughs> 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 but that's, that's, it sounds like approaching it like meditation that's like beautiful yeah, yeah. That's, i think that's the way to go with it yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah and I, I you know i think it's just possible also to just like overthink it all <laughs> be like okay yes i live under capitalism i have never there is no outside to it i have been shaped by it indelibly so yes like the same way that like compulsory heterosexuality has a lot to do with my love life um but like i'm also just like what am i gonna do just like live in a world without men no i'm i'm going to exist in this space and like yeah i'm gonna critique these things but i am also going to just like allow myself to have pleasure especially in this moment when like so many of the things I would love to be doing would be like, oh, you guys, this was really fun. Let's go have some drinks and keep talking. Yeah. <laughs> um, now we can't freaking do that because like, you know, we'd be in a snowbank. Um, and <laughs> no, it's, so, you know, so it's, it's, it's great. Yeah, I, I do think that like we, we can sort of overthink like, oh, my God, I'm doing this problematic thing. And like, OK, but like also, yeah, there is I, something I real on Instagram because I'm lonely and I like to see people's what people are doing and so i post it assuming that other people also feel the same way about me hopefully some people miss me um, <laughs> and like you know like okay i knit i like knitting i whatever yeah um, and po posting like, like jumpsuit the other day it's it's whatever. not it's not completely removing yourself like it, it actually it, it is part of the like outreach that we need to do like the, the sort of care work we need to do it's just yeah um i think so i think like you know both being aware of of like the cynical aspects to it and um taking the time to do like a genuine like like yeah i'm talking normal with my friends i'm not like formulating a a, a brand or a take um yeah. i'm just being normal <laughs> it's like it's, yeah, it's, it's necessary. Normal. It's me, right <laughs> like it's, it's so it's so strange to me right now where like I, i'm you know i have like a zoom catch up with friends and it's just like this feels like work mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, I have I have this one person who um, I love very much. Who I was talking, I, to, I was referencing his ex article about whatever that was an extended dick joke, and like he's always like, "Let's have a video call," and I'm like, "Honey, I've had so many zooms this week," mm -hmm. and so I just like I text him a lot that I'm like, "I'm really tired of talking and I have nothing to say, but I just want you to know that like I'm thinking of you." Yeah, because yeah. it's just like I what I would love to do is like curl up on the couch and watch a movie with someone. But I, I can't sucks. right now. So like the only interaction is like talking well, a lot. Sarah Jaffe, join our Discord because we've been yeah. a pretty good way <laughs> to watch movies together. And it's like less work than like Zoom because um, it's just audio and you don't have to also. You can just mute yourself and just watch the movie and then you can just chime in later if you want. And it's like it kind of works. Like we kind of figured out a way it was to watch like, stuff. It was really nice, actually. <laughs> I wasn't expecting, <laughs> I wasn't expecting that. Uh, so yeah, yeah join, join yeah, our Discord, pa Patreons okay. of, of Art and Labor get an automatic invite, but like we'll send you an invite, anyone listening right now will send you an invite. And also listen just far. anyone listening, we're like open to suggestions totally. If there's something you think like <clears throat> would be really cool to watch with people, let us know. Yeah, because we, we watched the Wonder Woman movie and we, we've yet to talk about it. We'll talk about it officially one. soon. It's horrendous. It's so bad. Oh, I, I watched it. Oh, I watched it. It's real bad. It's bad. <laughs> I love it the was FBI. so bad that I was just kind of like, what? did that, I, did she just do what I think she just did? 
<laughs> so yeah, very more socialization, like, and it's and it's very hard in in, in coronavirus, but we'll, we'll find ways to figure it out. This is a great, fun conversation, and it didn't feel like work, and so let's not say it was. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Thanks for coming on and like hanging out with us, Sarah. It was fun. Yeah. Thank you so much. All right. Let's thank have fun, you. everyone. Bye. Let's have fun. Let's have fun. Lots of fun. Let's have fun. Let's have fun, let's have fun, lots of fun.